Welcome, everybody, to the Weekly Tech Show presented to you by Next Level Consulting. Next Level Consulting is a Phoenix-based IT and business consulting company, and our philosophy is to help your business stabilize, optimize, and automate. Check us out at www.nxt-lvl.co. Thanks for tuning, tuning in. I'm your co-host, Charlie, a.k.a. Icini. We also have our other co-host, Lloyd, a.k.a. Meet. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the stream. This is episode nine, and tonight we're deep diving into optimization. Thanks, Lloyd. Mm -hmm, no problem. Cool. Let's, uh, it's our ad slide. So tonight's sponsor is Optimize Outerwear. So the well-dressed nice. traveler knows he can rely on Optimize Outerwear for warmth, comfort, and the freedom of movement. Check them out at www.opt-out.com. Nice. Thank you. I'm going to opt you. out into some of that opt-out <laughs> outerwear. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> All right, so on to the overview. So like we always do, we start off with the definition. What is our topic, the history of our topic, this day in tech segment, how optimization works, vendor dependencies, uh, solution delivery, lifecycle feasibility studies, technology roadmaps, the weekly top 10, and then the mailbag segment. Oh, yeah. So first step, what is optimization? So really optimization is finding an alternative with the most cost-effective or highest achievable performance under the given constraints. So by maximizing desired factors and minimizing undesired ones. That is optimization in a nutshell. Right. It's a generic term um, from the dictionary. But it really breaks down is that this episode is about um, some of the things that we find is good for businesses for optimization, as we do believe that stability and optimizing leads you into automation. So, oh, yeah. um, really hard to explain anything different. It is what it is, and uh, we feel the same. All right, history of optimization. History of optimization. Man, that has been going on a long time. Optimization started way back in antiquity. We had uh, great thinkers of the time uh, analyzing points and lines. Uh, Euclid was one of them who uh, was uh, measuring lines and found the most uh, the most a uh, unique distance between them is the shortest path and uh, is the most optimized path for that. Right. Same for the squares, the most uh, voluminous area of a rectangle. Um, so that is kind of the very first essence of optimizing things and getting them into their most uh, uh, best performing Efficient order. So state. then from there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so 17th century, that's when we had Isaac Newton uh, have an apple fall on his head and create calculus. Okay. And that's um, one of the basis for optimization. Really came from mathematics and the ability to find the most efficient uh, way to either do something or calculate something. And that um, using calculus is the prime example of it. He kind of collated a bunch of uh, mathematical analysis into that. Uh, book that he wrote, and that is kind of the basis for everything going forward for mathematical analysis. Um, going even further into the 20th century, Hancock published Theory of Minima and Maxima, and we also have von Neumann and Morgenstern who developed their dynamic programming. These are both math concepts. These are both kind of modeling and mathematical efficiencies work, but all this stuff is kind of leading into business optimization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some more optimization on the next slide here. And that is uh, the, uh, the kind of business optimization that we like to focus on are the things that are going to uh, increase your business's performance, increase the profit line, and increase uh, you know the 
the ability to serve your customers. Uh, there's two kinds uh, in the marketplace right now that businesses uh, gravitate toward. Mm-hmm. Lean and Six Sigma are kind of the two kind of optimization methodologies that are popular. The real kind of uh, breakdown of it is the difference between Lean and Six Sigma is they identify root cause of waste differently. Uh, Lean believe waste comes from unnecessary steps in production process that are not something that a customer would want to pay for. Right. Uh, while Six Sigma proponents assert that it comes from variation in the process, doing one thing one way, one thing not the same exact way the next time. Right. So that's um, pretty much in a nutshell, uh, optimization and its history. Uh, it's kind of always growing and entering into more and more disciplines. Definitely business optimization, business process management, and all those uh, sort of uh, thinking uh, methodologies are are there to make sure your business survives. I was just talking earlier and saying that you've got to optimize or you won't even survive. Right. And yeah, like you said, Lean and Six Sigma are really the biggest players now. Every organization seems to be doing something um, with one of those two. Absolutely. Yep, exactly. How optimization works. Oh, yeah. So how how does it work, right? Process improvement sets apart the immature business from industry leaders. So if you're not doing process improvement today, start to think about how you're going to do it tomorrow. It needs to be done. When you document and you understand your current business flows, you can find out everything that you didn't even know. And that's what that's the known unknowns, right? Where you know you don't know something, but you got to find out what it is. And by documenting and understanding everything, it gets you opening the door to optimization. Right. And the idea too uh, the is... The kinds of topics we like yeah. to focus on uh, with uh, optimization is vendor dependencies, uh, solution delivery lifecycle, feasibility studies, and technology roadmaps. If we look at all those uh, different facets of your organization, it really sets the stage for moving forward with optimization. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So our next uh, topic is this day in tech. This day in tech. This day in tech. Welcome, everybody, to This Day in Tech. On November 30th, 1959, IBM delivers the first two IBM 7090 mainframe computers. One of the first commercially produced fully transistorized computers, the 7090 and the later 7094, were notable for being used by NASA to control the Mercury and Gemini space flights, along with many other significant scientific and government applications in the 1960s. In 1960, a typical system sold for about $2.9 million, equivalent to $18 million in 2018. Or it could be rented for about $63,000 a month, equivalent to about $400,000 in today's currency. And that was this day in tech thanks charlie wow who knew that about ibm (laughs) yeah thank you okay on to our first topic of uh how we see uh the optimization process happening for businesses vendor dependencies right so we define this really as a relationship with vendors are important they are really important to be for your business to be successful but really no more important than your business itself so being beholden to a singular vendor technologies really can be a plague that inhibits your company's ability to grow. So it's important to periodically evaluate competing products by unaffiliated third parties or yourself, right? So if you have the time, uh, obviously, uh, rather than having that one vendor that you might have a product from, 
uh, and then see that they offer something else that you need rather than just choosing that product and going with a singular vendor. It's always good to do some kind of analysis, right? Uh, yep, make, absolutely. Make, You've got to put your uh, paper down and, and look at everything that's available to you. Uh, sometimes uh, vendors are going to lock you in, right? And you don't want that. You got to avoid it at all costs. Well, they want you to. Yeah, that's that's their goal. That's the, the salespeople get a bonus if they do that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They go to Hawaii if they yeah. lock you in. <laughs> Only once a year, but they still get to go. But yeah, so it's just important to be <laughs> to making sure that you that you do, um, even if you have a, a product that you think that you want. It's always good to have a couple more vendors come in and uh, show off their stuff just so you understand what you're missing and what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Make them sweat a little bit, right? Right. Uh, examples of vendor dependencies, of being vendor dependent, really are if you ever need additional features that the business uh, needs and you're beholden to a vendor's release schedule, this is a good right. example that you probably are vendor dependent. Um, yep. it's We're going to wait. Yeah. We're going to wait on that uh, until the spring. We'll release it second quarter of the spring. So you have to wait. Right. You have to wait a little bit. And you're it, like, what? That's not acceptable. That is actually not acceptable. And it's easy to like, you know, want to use, uh, you might have like a sales uh, cloud offering uh, software you use, right? And like, it's okay to look around and making sure that uh, a lot of times there's add-ons or third-party vendors that can work with a primary software vendor that you have uh, that can add those right. extra features. So make sure you keep an eye out and support those third-party vendors that do those uh, add-ons and stuff because they do really good work. Yep. Make sure they're not trying to develop that feature on your dime in your environment. Yeah. That's, that, that that's not uncommon at all. I've, I've had vendors where <laughs> right. like I have a requirement that their product doesn't do, but they work and get it uh, implemented while we deploy. Right. And it's like, it's okay because it, I mean, it's kind of nice because you get what you need, but at the same time, right. they are going to take that work and sell it to someone else. So exactly. So uh, other examples that you're vendor dependent are support costs continue to creep upwards. Now, I'm not saying the average 2 to 5% creep that happens every year on software. You know, inflation happens. It's kind of the normal. But you have a vendor start jumping you up like 15%, right, from last year on annual maintenance. Um, not good. It might, be a good <laughs> it might be a good idea that maybe you're vendor dependent and they know it. So um, it's a little bit agreed, but it's the reality. Um, if you always, uh, if you, you can really help maintain and control the balance of this power once in a while by getting competitive bids. And that that's right. really our next topic is that make sure even if you're using this software, just get a quote for how many user licenses you might consume and go get a quote and see what the vendor uh, costs. The, the, yep. the different I've vendor. seen it so many times where they just put on blinders once you select your vendor and it's been five years, 10 years since mm -hmm. they've selected their vendor. Oh man, there's so many examples I could give right now, but we're not going to name names. Yeah, but it's very common. So very common. Uh, other things too uh, that kind of show that you might be vendor dependent is, is if uh, new technology like new uh, desktop or server OSs or switches or different protocols that maybe have been advancing IT yeah. aren't supported by the product that you use. Um, it might be that uh, really you might be worrying that the vendor might be outdated or they have a, a business model that doesn't excel very fast and that's not very good for your vertical or your business model. So right. um, always good to have vendors that if you can um, uh, trying the newest things and making sure they're TLS compliant 
how much did we do of that fiasco of SSL v3 and some oh. uh, software wasn't TLS supported and stuff and now you can't get exactly and so much effort to change that it's ridiculous right it is and then it locks you into an operating system it locks you into uh, switches or uh, even your backbone now can't be switched on your right. network because you're waiting for the right uh, vendor support this is something that you you just cannot accept. Yeah, maybe that VoIP software or that VoIP vendor you use doesn't support the new awesome protocol, and then all the other right. competitors do. But you've said, "Well, I've deployed too much of it," and like you know, that doesn't necessarily. Uh, if a lot of customers for that vendor are like that, it doesn't help them excel their business because if they're everything's gravy, then it is until it's not right. So, exactly. Okay. Solution delivery lifecycle. Oh, yes. Good old SDLC. Yeah, so as business demands on IT increase, an emphasis on efficiency is required. So following industry standard methodologies creates repeatable processes that are documented, planned, and reported on. So really what we talk about is that solution delivery lifecycle is different than the normal SDLC you hear in the workplace, really. SDLC usually is defined as software delivery lifecycle. This right. idea is the idea of deploying solutions in IT as opposed to software. And IT, a software could be a solution, right? It's part of a solution, right. right. But this idea of solution delivery is unique in the sense that it uses common methodologies and really uh, uh, works off of getting a solution delivered from start to finish rather than maybe the software doing this one unique thing for something. Exactly. So then you don't pigeonhole a piece of software to do one task you're looking at an overall business requirement an overall business need instead of looking at the software or the solution itself so that's right. why uh, it's it's one of those things where this ability to stand back and look at it with a pragmatic logical viewpoint is what really helps drive the repeatability of it and the fact that um, you can even report on all this activity later and you can look back and say, this is why that was chosen. This is why that vendor right. should be uh, kicked to the curb. <laughs> totally. So uh, what's some common phases of solution oh, delivery? Absolutely. Yeah, so solution delivery lifecycle has uh, common phases um, that uh, go across um, any, any area that's trying to de develop this. Um, the main ones are evaluation mm -hmm. where you have a BA uh, that works with the business stakeholder to properly define requirements and to scope an IT solution. The BA also will generate the technical requirements document. That's the TRD. Uh, and they take that from the input of the stakeholder. Right. Uh, so then uh, the next step uh, in the SDLC is to integrate an architect. System integrators or architects analyze that technical document and generate a IT solution uh, that is redundant, scalable, reliable, and cost efficient. Usually they'll dip into their toolbox of accepted solutions for other um, types of problems that are similar. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, the number one way to leverage a uh, cost of scale. And this could be COT software, right? This could be commercial oh, yeah. off the shelf. So exactly. this, yeah. So this isn't necessarily like always having to do um, something custom, you know, uh, solution delivery is about just having a methodology that you follow, uh, like Lloyd said, that's repeatable, that right. uh, gives you the ability to, to have a, a common set ground, um, because it's so often that most 
how many times have you seen an IT manager or an executive get upset because he didn't know some project was going on, right? Something right. like that. Shadow IT. Shadow IT, totally. Okay. What's the next ones we do here? All right. Yeah. So moving down the list here, the uh, peer review is uh, next in order here. All IT solutions should have some sort of peer review process in place that ensures a quality product is produced to the business. So that means oversight. Mm -hmm. That means documentation that is reviewed on on the choices that are being made, on the delivery of the TRD solution, on the uh, plan going forward for the uh, moving of the project to completion. Pros and cons, and hopefully hopefully some of this might even have uh, them provide uh, some kind of documentation that shows that they've looked at multiple vendors or multiple solutions mm-hmm. and why this one might be the best, right? Yep. And peer review is nice because then you get other teams involved on this process. So then no one can, everyone's accountable as this process exactly. moves forward through, right? Absolutely. Yep. And that's the kind of thing where in the peer review process, everyone that's taking a look at it will then become aware of what's going on. If you have all the managers from each of the tower areas or mm-hmm. whatever your division in IT is, then all those people will uh, be able to have uh, visibility on those projects and their and their uh, process and what's happening. With right. Them. And and more importantly, all their uh, people that work for them and those teams have some visibility, hopefully, too. So right. they can't claim and that this they didn't see this stuff coming. like in, yeah. in that Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go, no. Just basically, so no one can claim that they didn't see something coming down the pipe, right? Right. This yeah, is to make sure that this, is this stuff is, is feeds successful. Into, feeds into having a racy chart might be some of the solution that's built, like the uh, responsibilities that uh, each team has for the solution. The network team will respond at this SLA for that uh, right. uh, part of the solution, right? Because if it's multiple pieces that are working together to provide the solution then there might be multiple teams supporting it and their plan must be put in place for that communication. And it's good too, because it really lets it be vetted. So as an architect, you might be able to define a solution that you think is great and maybe it is technically feasible, but you don't necessarily run the network switches. You don't know the capabilities of everything that you might think it should be available, might not be right. So Mm -hmm. having a peer review really lets all that be vetted out and uh, hopefully pop up, bubble up some things that might uh, make the project go awry um, in this phase. Exactly. Yeah. Moving down the list, then uh, once it's peer reviewed, all the boxes are checked, the lights are green, we go to approval to get the actual green light from senior IT management. Uh, Usually this is a process where we sit down in a roundtable situation and you go over the project, go over the steps that are required, maybe go over budgetary uh, information, Mm -hmm. maybe go over analysis of life cycle for three year, five year, exactly. Yep. And And um, then you get the approval from the senior IT management. This is the gate that occurs before work gets done, right. before resources are assigned to it. In this manner, uh, then they're way more in control of the work that's going on in IT. And yeah, and the key thing, like you said, is before work commences. This is super important that, you know, you, um, um, employee work cycles are, uh, are something to behold at, at a very high regard, right? So. Don't have people yep. spinning things on uh, things that might not even uh, become to the end. So that's a big thing. Yep. That should be a focus all the way up the chain. Right. After we have our approvals, we move right on into deployment. 
Deployment is crucial for ensuring the IT solution is provided on time, within scope, and at or under budget. Deployment means if it's a large enough project, if it's enough hours or whatever the category cutoff is, means you might have a PM from within IT or mm -hmm. a PM from a PMO assigned to the project to uh, schedule meetings, to hold the kickoff, to hold the closing meeting, uh, to do any of the post-project analysis that has to occur. But in this deployment uh, phase is when all the steps for making things happen are uh, enacted and the work is done. Right. And every every organization has a different deployment method, right? And the idea right. of this phase is just some kind of leader will be appointed for the deployment and responsible. So it doesn't have to be a PM if your organization doesn't have one. Maybe it's a exactly. team lead. Maybe it's a manager. Could but just an, someone. Yeah, engineer. yeah, it could be an engineer. Yeah. yeah. Somebody... Um, who has an understanding of the project as a whole really is uh, key to ensure that that's successful. Yep. Okay. Right. Feasibility studies. So a feasibility study aims to objectively and rationally uncover the strengths and weaknesses of an existing business or proposed venture. Uh, the, mo the five most common steps of a feasibility study are a market feasibility, feasibility, technical feasibility, financial, operational, and then conclusions. Those are really the five main steps that are common uh, if you're trying to figure out if a, if a new product your company might release or uh, some new, uh, um, uh, who knows, right? It's, it's, feasi right. it's feasible. Even during optimization analysis, yeah. right? Yeah, is optimizing this legacy app feasible, right? Even or you might even do right. a feasibility yeah. study to ensure that the project could be successful before it even uh, starts getting vetted. Um, so, uh, let's start off at market feasibility. So this includes a description of the industry, the current market, anticipated future market potentials, uh, competition, sales projections, and potential buyers. Uh, market's really uh, crucial because without market, um, it's really hard to understand if what you want, it could be a f feasible thing to do in a general sense, right? But maybe the market timing isn't right. Exactly. Maybe you're ahead of the curve, right? Uh, and you've uh, hit on something that everyone wants, but they don't want it yet. And that forecasting is very important. And if you can sense what the market wants through a feasibility study of the market, uh, you can get a, you know a picture of that. And then you could even like maybe generate some key indicators out of that feasibility study, and go when the market has these things, then it would be time to move forward with that idea. So. There you go. Uh, yeah. And that can, would be in your conclusion, huh? Right. Yeah, totally. So the next step is technical feasibility. So this details how you will deliver the product of service, including issues of materials, labor, transportation, where the business will be located and technology needed. So this is really um, the first step of getting into a detail and technical side, figuring out uh, this is just a general sense. So it could be like, um, how many screens that software needs, uh, what kind of authentication uh, factors it needs to do. So all right. these things are part of the technical feasibility. Uh, the next one is financial feasibility. So this is, uh, you need to project how much startup capital you'll need and examine potential sources of capital and returns on investment. So right. uh, to do something, to do something is not a good reason to do something. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, write that one down. That was awesome. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, it really, it needs to be able to, uh, excel your business, either that be your profits or your leverage of your competitors in the market. Right. Um, 
you need to make sure that the money you spend to make this thing true uh, gets you right. a greater outcome at the end. And that's one of those things is as you're doing this work, it's not just for buying it this year, right. but buying it and then spending maintenance on it and care and feeding of it. And if you need a resource working on it, all the things that go into the true total cost of ownership of this product or this financial question. Um, and that is the only way you'll actually know what the spend will be for that time to just go into it blind is going to throw you for a loop in three to five years when the, uh, the maintenance comes due. Totally. All right. The next one is operational feasibility. So the measurement of how well a proposed system solves the problems and takes advantage of the opportunities identified during scope definition and how it satisfies the requirements identified in the requirements analysis phase of system development. So really right, this so is the idea is uh, you got to really look is like maybe from a technical feasibility, you might see it's technically feasible, but then you have to look at the operational feasibility too. Right. So uh, you need to find what's that. Does it match up? Does it, it match up? Right. To do it with what we have, with the, what the real world is. Right. Totally. So then the, the last step would be the conclusion. So you should discuss how you envision the business succeeding. You need to be honest in your assessment because investors won't look at your conclusions and take it as proof. So uh, they should look at your data and question your conclusions if they appear unrealistic. So if there is something, it's hard because conclusions might, a lot of times when a project has gone to the point where they want to do a feasibility, they're probably already pretty uh, well liked on that idea. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Right. So exactly. They've almost got the money earmarked. They might they already have the money earmarked dependent on the feasibility right. study. So, so that's why you, you know, it's really important to have an honest conclusion about it because right. things might be happening immediately following considering the outcome of this study. And that's why, um, a lot of times if someone comes to you with a feasibility study, a lot of times they already think it's feasible. Right. Right. They usually won't even have this, the, the idea of spending any time on a, on a, on a idea without having it think it's feasible. Right. So if they get to the point of feasibility study, it's almost like if the conclusion is wrong, you better make sure that you have the data to back it up because inherently I think people don't want that conclusion right. to be wrong most likely. Right. You know what right. I mean? Oh man. How many times has it been? Any work that you've done doesn't matter. The choice has secretly already been made. Yeah, um, <laughs> totally. This is what we're trying to avoid. This is what we're trying to get away from. Right. Uh, having it written down, having it reportable. This is going to give people the ammunition and the ability to fight back against that choice that someone makes maybe for greater relations with the vendor or something. Who but knows? The, yeah. The totally. truth is it's got to be for the business and that, a feasibility study will suss it out. It's a good way to have a third party assess it and just to make sure that everyone is sane and on the same page. So... Um, that's why feasibility studies are so great to do. So crucial. All right. We are into technology roadmaps. Oh yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of the world, right? Yeah. Making maps and driving down them. Oh yeah. How about you kick us off? Let's do this. Focusing your vision and creating achievable goals can be the difference between success and failure. Clearly translating business strategy into a workable plan is what technology roadmaps help accomplish. Right. The thing we do is we talk to business owners, we talk to high level management, we talk to architects and consultants, and we ask, what are the major things you need uh, to package up 
in your next six months, one year, three years, and five years. If you can write a list down and start working on that, that is a really good start. It's leaps and bounds against other organizations. So many organizations fly by the seat of their pants, right? So just even yep. writing down your primary aim of what you want to accomplish is a massive thing to do. It really is. It's it's a huge step. Once you get there and you're doing that, then everything else just follows naturally. Right. You got to define your uh, objectives, your primary aim, your strategic priority, and then from there you can find your functional needs and your priorities. What do I need to do every day to make this business achieve its strategic priority? Right. Uh, you've got to also uh, have uh, on that roadmap a measure of the cost. You want to know at each phase, if it's broken up into years or months or whatever the period might be, that there is a measurable cost following along the map. Right. So that way you can say, here, I know that provided that uh, the business agreement has been you know, held to, we're going to we're gonna obtain $2 million worth of funding for the next six months. And maybe uh, that's to, yeah. And maybe that's to uh, improve data center reliability, right? So exactly. then you can stay up. Uh, Amazon doesn't have to crash when it comes to uh, prime day, right? Like yeah, if you prime spent day. more money, maybe it would have equaled out because of the product they sold, right? It's just the idea right. is that the cost should always be tied to adding value to the business for sure. All actions. Yep. All actions should be tied to adding value. So the other part of uh, these roadmaps are don't be afraid to put realistic timelines down. Uh, it's always really easy to start to overpromise because the horizon is just over there mm -hmm. and anything past it, <laughs> it's just on the other side. It's and it's so easy, easy to want to do great things, right? Right. <laughs> great no, things very, very fast. That's instant gratification yep. is great things very fast. Right. Um, and maybe what it does is it increases your accolade or it increases the, the amount of, uh, of of praise you get, but that might not be worth it if it fails or if it gives a bad name or, to your project or yeah. IT in general. Or you make everyone work like a dog, right? I mean, that's part of it too. To yep, for it's really, it's all about not only project management but people management. Right. The last thing we'd like to do on those technology roadmaps is make sure we appoint an IT steering committee, mm -hmm. uh, having a group of people from all areas of IT meeting in a room, talking about the technology, you're going to have players that are pulling back and forth with each other politically, dev team, infrastructure team, yep, maybe true. DBAs are split off, maybe security split off, Right. all these different teams, right? You want to make sure you have representation so everyone's clear because when you write a roadmap, it better match up with everyone else's roadmap. And then at the top level, it all better filter up like a big puzzle, all pieces fitting together. And I think it's important when you talk about steering committees is that uh, we actually encourage it not to be all managers, right? Uh, right? A lot of times people think that a steering committee should be all managers. And really what a steering committee should be is actually from a CIO perspective, people that are employees in your organization that kind of have the same vision as you. Right. Yes. Don't, Very you don't, smart. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to get a DBA manager who hates to change things because he hates to change. And that's not necessarily a yeah, person that you want on your steering committee. The whole time. Now it's not to say that some of those times, some of those people can't add a nice stopgap to make sure things are being done correctly. Right. Right. But you don't want to choose someone on the steering committee that uh, doesn't get along with people or doesn't brainstorm or do things like that. Well, so, you know, what? just invite them for one or two meetings. 
you yeah. get their input. <laughs> totally. And then even as a CIO, you should stop in and join those meetings once in a while. Not all the time because you've set the vision. You don't have to make sure it happens. That's their role. Right. But it's real it, hard sometimes yeah. when top brass is in the room for that good discussion to happen. Sometimes right. stepping away is when the magic happens too. True. It, it's freer conversation, easier for people to talk. They're not worried about being judged about things they might say. It's uh, always a good thing to do to, to cover the uh, stew and let it and let it cook for a little bit. No doubt. Okay. Top 10. That's my best friend. That's my best friend. Top 10. Top 10 cost optimizations. We got big data on the slide, but oh well. Oh, well, it does say uh, way at the tippy top there. But yeah, top 10 cost optimizations. Are we ready, Charlie? We're ready, yeah. Fire it out. Number 10, business process outsourcing. Making sure that you look around, finding if there's someone that can do the job cheaper for less cost. There's no reason to keep something in-house if it's not your bread and butter. If you're not making money off of it, look to see if you can move it out. Number nine. Improving inventory management. The things you have in the building that you're selling to people, if it's just on a shelf and you may or may not have full tracking of it, those days are gone. Get busy with it. Make sure you track your inventory. Get it off the That's shelf. Cost. Yeah, get it off the shelf. Get yeah. it sold. Yeah. You, people get loans on their inventory. So having it where you don't know is a mess. Improve that as soon as you can. Number eight. Supply chain optimization, just like improving your inventory, making sure it's all buttoned up over there. Look at your supply chain. See if maybe you're getting products from two vendors. You can reduce that to one. See if maybe one vendor is giving you a really high cost. You can switch it around and compete with another vendor to get the cost. Just don't get vendor dependent. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Number seven. Improving your asset management. Not only the inventory that you have, you're selling to the uh, to the general public for consumption. The things that you have inside your organization that you need to process business, like your computers, your servers, your laptops, your phones, everything down the list that a company might buy to supply to the employees. All these things really need to be tracked and asset tagged properly in order to make sure you're not getting cost overruns for purchases Everyone shouldn't be getting iPhone 10s or 12s or 13s or whatever right. the new one is when they don't need it. So make sure that that is, uh, is buttoned down tight and your asset management is handled properly. Number six, process automation. Now, this is kind of in the, uh, in the disciplines of next level, uh, the next phase, but it always starts small, right? And mm -hmm. so here in optimization, we start some process optimization or automation stuff, right? So if maybe you're doing something not online, put that thing online, it makes it easier. And then you get uh, more benefit from it. If you can get it to where it's faster the, to get money, that's a great way for your business to uh, be more liquid. Totally. Numbers five, improving data management. So we got all that inventory handled. We got all the assets handled. We got to somehow take and tackle our data uh, mm. by the horns. There's a lot of it. It grows every year. And now every business is doing business intelligence work. And if you don't have 
all of your databases sorted and organized and where your data is, your data types, your data catalog, all the things you need for proper data management, you can't find optimizations to help you out. So that is a must when it comes to data as it grows with your business. No duplicate data. That's the goal. Yeah. No duplicate data, data store. Absolutely. That's a great mantra. All right, moving on to number four, improving business effectiveness with analytics. Mm. Just like we were talking about feeding right from that data management. Once you have that sorted out, you can start looking at your data, looking at your tables, find new uh, reasons to do uh, projects for business, find new ways or avenues to get new uh, revenue. All this is ability that you gain by looking at your data and analyzing it with tools tools like Tableau or any of the other ones uh, we have mentioned before. All right, moving on with number three, customer self-service. Kind of an interesting one. Maybe it doesn't come immediately to mind, but if you can improve a customer's uh, interaction with your company by making sure that they get what they need immediately because they've chosen to do it, an automated process of some sort gives it to them, and then they walk away happy. Mm -hmm. The greatest part about that is that your employees also didn't have to burn any cycles to service that customer. It's kind of a win-win and it makes your company look way more efficient uh, to the customer. And all that imagery is really important for building your bottom line. Going down to number two. All right, this is continuous improvement culture. Lots of people are in the mindset that improvement happens once. It should be something that happens all the time. If you're not constantly questioning everything, reconsidering what a purchase was for, why it's there, why are we doing it this way? That should be like the first thing you say when you walk in. Good morning, everybody. Why are we doing it this way? <laughs> right. And oh, that Lloyd's always coming in every day asking why we're doing things that way. Why are we doing this? Does anybody know? Let's get it clear. <laughs> All, right. All right, let's do top 10 cost optimizations. Number one, woo -woo. digitalization of business processes. This is the part where now you're signing contracts online. Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird. It's kind of strange at first. It's still legally binding. And the greatest thing is you can have someone sign right there on site. They can sign at the restaurant. 2 a.m. in the morning. Sign on your even. phone. Exactly. And that's it, folks. That is the top 10 cost optimization. Good job, Lloyd. Hey, thank you, Charlie. Okay, that brings us into our weekly mailbag. Weekly mailbag. Do, 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 do. So Stephanie wrote in on the virtualization episode asking, what are your thoughts on containers and should organizations start making the switch from traditional VMs? Hmm. Very good question, Stephanie. Thank you. What do you think? What's your first thoughts come to mind? I think that um, containers are one of those things that are become part of uh, the day-to-day -day, um, uh, infrastructure that's available. Uh, I think that the maybe the moves right now are not needed. Mm -hmm. uh, it all depends on how many VMs you're packing onto a box, right? How many uh, types of uh, servers you might have that are using containers in a way that are, are leveraging the advantages of those containers. Right. Um, what do you think, Charlie? Any other thoughts on organizations making the switch? Yeah, so um, containers are great. We love containers. I think they all have a place. You know, like web servers and things like that make great containers. 
right? right? Real complex IT systems, maybe not so much. Um, <laughs> right. You know, a lot of software isn't supported by vendors and containers yet. A lot of COT software. Some progressive ones actually have containers you can download and deploy. Right. Um, yeah, I think I've don't. seen one or two now that are only containers that yeah. you download. So really, you so know, might... Docker and stuff, we all think is great. Um, right. I mean, I think when the t uh, when there's a great opportunity for containers to come in, I think now is the time. I mean, I think yesterday was the time to start using containers. <laughs> yeah, leveraging yeah. containers immediately probably is a, a good suggestion. And, you know, how how... Uh, mature your your continuous integration pipeline and all those things make a big difference in containers because containers totally. start to kind of take the the idea of um, of VMs and servers away from engineers and almost into developers hands right when you start using containers and you can spin up a command to launch a bunch of them with a certain variables and all right. their configuration uh, built in so yeah we think you should start switching uh, tomorrow Tomorrow and yesterday. And yesterday. And today if Perfect. you want to. Cool. All right. So we just want to let our uh, viewers know that we do convert our weekly tech, to, uh, tech show into podcast format for you to enjoy on the go. On you the go, we give it to you. Yes, we do. So you can head to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and search for Next Level Co. N-X-T-L-V-L-C-O. Um, yeah. And that's the end of our show. Very good. That's optimization in a nutshell, folks. It is. If you have any questions, please let us know right into the show. Yep. Uh, let us know, and we'll always uh, happy to answer it in our mailbag next week. We sure will. All right, you good? I'm good. Are you good, Charlie? I'm good. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks uh, for coming by. See you guys next week. See you next week.